read the Bible, it's easy to read it two-dimensionally, as if it was only words on a page. Scholars and preachers like myself, even more, will dig into the two-dimensionality of the text. We spend our lives trying to find out what the words mean, what they meant to the writer or to the original readers. We immerse ourselves in trying to find connections to these words and other words, one book and another book, even one language and another language. Now these are really good pursuits. It's really important to understand the text of Scripture. But that is not the only way to read the Bible. And I would contend that reading Scripture like a text is only the beginning of understanding it as God's Word. Scripture grows out of a story, and the story, we believe, is a true story in the best possible sense of that word. As a true story, it portrays life and living, and life and living are much more than two dimensions. Life has three or four dimensions, if not more. Scripture doesn't just portray life, but it gives us life. The Gospels give us the life of God made flesh. In the Gospels there is something for all our five senses. Those senses that through the working of the Spirit of God connect us to the life of God made flesh. The story of the night of a Thursday in that first Holy Week is a prime example of a narrative shot through with life that can be felt with five senses. Indeed, the night of Thursday of the first Holy Week was a sensory explosion for the first disciples. In the accounts of that night that we have in the Gospels, there is something to hear There is something to see, there's something to touch, and something to taste, and something to smell. Come with me this evening. Use your imagination as we consider the events on that Thursday night. What was there to see on Monday, Thursday? As a disciple of Jesus, what would you have seen? What do you see in this story? As one of the followers of Jesus, you would have seen the hustle and bustle of the city in this Passover season. Passover is one of the three main annual festivals that attracts Jews from all over the world. The historian Josephus 
writing around the time of Jesus, said that whereas the normal population of Jerusalem was between 50 and 100,000, at this time of year it could reach more than 2 million. So there were people everywhere for you to see, people pushing here and shoving there through the narrow streets of that (laughs) old city. People greeting relatives and friends that they hadn't seen for such a long time. People looking askance at, at foreign Jews come from all over the world speaking different languages and dressed in unusual clothing. And you would have observed everyone getting ready for the special meal that would be eaten on this evening. There's a man pulling a lamb along, and there's a woman with a basket on her head full of herbs and bread, and there's a donkey pulling a cart full of flasks of wine. You climb the stairs as Jesus leads you to a room on an upper floor. The low-lying tables are set with cushions arranged around each one. The light of the room is not as much as what we're used to, but it is more than an ordinary Palestinian would have had on a normal day. Mind you, this is a festival. There are lamps in the corners and maybe on the tables too. Everything is prepared. Jesus, it seems, with the help of Peter and John, has made a special effort for the Passover this year. Let's pause and imagine the sights of the scenes. First the street, and then the stairs, and then that upper room. Tired from a long day in a noisy city, you can't wait to sit down and relax in this comfortable room. But wait, Jesus tells you to hold on. Don't sit down just yet. And Jesus does something that assaults not just your tactile sense, your sense of touch, but he does something that assaults your sense of pride as well. Before you can sit down, Jesus says, I need to wash your feet. He he insists that he wash your feet. Shockingly and against all protocol, he, the master, like a slave, strips off his robe and wraps a towel around his waist. He pours water and he begins to wash your feet in cool water. He caresses your feet as he guides them into the water. And then he dries them with the towel. Let's imagine the cool water and the hot flush in our faces as 
we unwillingly let Jesus touch our feet. We want to enjoy the refreshing experience, but you know this isn't right. That he should wash my feet. I should be washing his And let's hear as he explains this shocking action of his. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then there's the beal, a feast for the taste of the sense of taste. In the Passover meal, there are all the flavors, as well as every texture that you could imagine. There are the spicy and bitter herbs, to remember the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. There's the sweet, heady wine, four cups of it. There's that sweet, crunchy heroset, meant to remind you of the mortar that your ancestors used to build the pyramids. There's the crispy, unleavened matzah bread. And usually, There is the umami meat of the roasted lamb that represents the sacrifice whose blood is painted on the doorposts, signifying to God that his children live here in this place where you are eating. Because of his love for you, his people, the angel of death, should on this night pass over this house. But funnily enough, none of the gospel writers mention the lamb. Perhaps it wasn't there. Perhaps they left it out for some reason. Can you imagine? Let's imagine the taste of this meal. It would have been like Christmas for us. All the familiar fare and all the trimmings and all the memories of Passover's past with friends and family and all the history represented in this meal of God's saving of his people from Exodus is so much a part of who you are and your way of life. Sight, touch, taste, and sound. What do you hear on this night? Well, you hear the sound of friends enjoying themselves here in this room. 
these people that you've spent three years together, three momentous years. And yes, you can't help but hear a bustling city just beyond the walls of this upper room. But the main sound that you hear is the familiar voice of your master. And as usual, he has some things to say that warm your heart, but also some things that are just beyond the border of your comprehension. And tonight he has things to say that are downright disturbing. He takes the bread from the table as the father or the teacher would on such occasions. But instead of the familiar words that should be said on this night, he says some strange things. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And you hear the sound as he snaps the bread in two. <coughs> and then he takes the cup, one of the four cups, and he says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. What is this all about? What is this about his blood? Where is he going that we need to remember him? And then he puts the cat amongst the pigeons. He starts talking about betrayal. And everyone begins denying that he would ever do such a thing. And then he speaks of how things are going to go south, that we will need to buy swords and get traveling gear because we're going to have to be on the run. Why is the master talking this way about betrayal and about running away on, on such a night as this, on Passover night, when we should be celebrating and by this time, the wine is getting to you, and it's hard to concentrate. Maybe that's why you're not understanding what the Master is saying. Let us try to concentrate with our imagination and listen to the sounds of that night. And let's listen as our Master speaks. You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. When I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? But now, if you have a purse, take it 
and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, tell your, sell your cloak and buy one. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Sight, touch, taste, sound. One more sense that we haven't covered, the sense of smell. There would have been lots of smells in the crowded city of Jerusalem in the first century on that Passover night. Some not so very pleasant smells. People didn't bathe very often. Water in the crowded city was hard to come by and none of the disciples had any lynx deodorant. Of course, there were pleasant smells too. There was the smell of roasting lamb. Later, there was the scent of fresh growth in the evening air, the olive grove where Jesus would lead you after the meal. But one pleasant scent that was significant on that night was the scent of perfume. Just before this holy week, there was an incident of a woman breaking an alabaster jar of perfume all over Jesus' head or all over his feet, depending on which gospel account you read. This perfume was no cheap aftershave. We're told that it was pure nard. Nard is made from a flowering plant of the honeysuckle family. It grows at a height, mainly in the Himalayas. And even today, it is hard to come by. We're told that she poured out what was worth more than a year's wages. And there was a lot of this perfume. John tells us that there was a leader of the stuff. If it had been poured out on Jesus' head, it would have drenched all his clothes. It would have been distinctive and a long-lasting fragrance. It would have followed Jesus everywhere throughout this week. And since it's hard to imagine a scent, I've put some nard on these napkins for each of you. I want you to take filling the room. (laughs) 
I want you to hold it up to your nose. I think some of you have done that already. I'm seeing you do that. And let's imagine again the events of this night. Imagine that night. You don't have to see Jesus to follow him through the streets. You just need to follow the scent of nard. And in the upper room, the scent mixes with all the other smells and overpowers all of them. Nard is related not just to honeysuckle, but also to valerian. So it's also a sedative. As he washes your feet, there's that scent of nard. As you recline at the table after this feast and listen to Jesus' words, you, you're feeling sleepy, not just from the wine, but also from the effects of this fragrance. It is calming you. It's relaxing you. It's symbolic of the presence of Jesus. Jesus is with you. So disturbing words and predictions of what is to come need not overly worry you. Later in the garden you will give in to the effects of the scent and the wine and you will fall asleep. And what happens after that will seem like a dream, it will seem like a nightmare. You will no longer have Jesus with you. He will be taken away, tortured, tried, and executed, and you will run away just as he predicted. But the memory of that scent will remain. It will follow you. The thing about scent is that it is the one of the five senses that evokes memory best. In your despair at later events, dare you let that memory give you hope? Or does this smell only make you grieve all the more for what you have lost? Nard is one of the fragrances used to anoint the dead. Jesus says that the woman who anointed him was anointing his body for burial. And that is exactly what is to take place. Though on this night, none of the disciples yet understood. We, however... Now know that death is not the end of the story for Jesus. On Easter Sunday, when Mary meets Jesus risen from the dead, I wonder if that fragrance was still around. Later in the upper room and all those other times that Jesus meets his disciples post-resurrection, did they not smell the nard when he appeared? 
The Apostle Paul will later speak of those who follow Jesus now as being the aroma of our Lord. I wonder if Paul might not have been thinking metaphorically of this scent. Just as Jesus washed his disciples' feet on this night and asked us to do the same for others, it is also true that as Jesus remains present with us by his Spirit, as we live by trusting in him and as we love each other as he loved us, we are the fragrance of Jesus for one another. We are the fragrance of Jesus for our families and for our friends and for our world. By God's grace, may it be so. Please take the napkin with you tonight. Use it throughout the week and let it remind you of Jesus. Remember his love for you and all the ways that he showed you that he loved you in this upper room, in the bread and in the wine, in the washing of your feet, in his concern for you and his willingness to forgive when you will often betray him with your words and with your actions. Remember his love that also took him from this room to a lonely garden and then to the agony and death and then out through the other side of death to the life that he longs to share with you that life with all its fullness.